God made us for friendship, for one another. Friendship is a type of love that sets us free to become who we're meant to be. You need friends to bring out your true self. From Wrestling with God Productions, this is Life Lessons from Jesus and the Church He Founded. the podcast where we examine wisdom from the Bible, wisdom that tests our ideas about life and reveals truth from many angles. I'm your host, Irish McMahon. Our guide for the journey is a guy who loves exploring sacred scripture and the wisdom it contains. He's Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. In this episode, Father Len reveals what Jesus and the Bible have to say about friends and friendship, and why friends are vital to our growth, survival, and discovering and becoming who we're meant to be. Here's Father Len. I love what the Bible has to say about friendship. And in Hebrew, the word friend is related to the word secret, in the sense that a friend is somebody who really knows you. Isn't that beautiful? So, Jesus says, I call you friends, not servants, because a servant doesn't know what his master is about. I call you friends. And then he goes on to describe why he he calls them friends. He calls them friends because they know he is the Christ. They know him. So, unfortunately, today the word friend is turned into a verb. So you friend somebody on Facebook so that they really don't know you. They just know what you want to project. So I love the Hebrew that the word friend is connected to the word secret, that they really know you. And I also like the final judgment, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, in the final judgment, Jesus will recognize you as a friend. And those who are cursed, he says, I tell you, we've never met. (laughs) So even like the last judgment is a type of friendship. And If Jesus says, I tell you, we've never met, what it's saying is that Jesus was just a Facebook friend. You know, just looking. But, so I love the Hebrew. But also in English, the word friend actually comes from the Indo-European word for love and free. Isn't that interesting? And I like that because friendship is a type of love that also sets us free to become who we're meant to be. And what I mean by that is this. C.S. Lewis had two best friends. So the three of them were this trio. They're really close friends. And then, sadly, one of their friends dies. Lewis thinks to himself, well, at least I'll have Jack and I'll have more of Jack because, you know, there's just the two of us now. But this odd thing happens that when their friend died, the other parts of I think his name was Jack's personality, just didn't come out. That their third friend had ways of making part of the other friend's personality just come alive. And so he said, when that one friend died, he actually lost a little bit more than just that one friend. He lost bits of his other friends too. So friendship is a way that helps you to become your true self. And it's a community of friends, not just one friend, 
but a community of friends that can bring out all the dimensions of your true self. So I just like that. Just like C.S. Lewis's friend, uh, you need friends to bring out your true self. So friendship is crucial towards survival. Now, just also one more. The word friend in Spanish or Latin, in Spanish it's amigo, in Latin it's amicas. But I love that too because think of the word amore, which means love, that a friend literally means in the Latin or Spanish, someone I love. And friendship is also important to gain wisdom. Wisdom is being in touch with the reality that you know what is right, what is the right thing to do in the vast majority of situations where moral rules don't apply. So in the vast uh, majority of your choices, in most cases, there's a choice between two good things. So there's many options. But which one's the right one? Which one's the wise one? So wisdom is knowing what choice is best. And wisdom is a bit being able to tell the right thing for the right situations, especially when moral rules don't apply. What if they're both moral? Which one's the wise one? And a great source of wisdom, the Bible says, is friends. So Proverbs says, you will not lead a wise life unless you are choosing friends, and especially terrific friends. So Proverbs says, there is a friend who sticks closer to you than a brother. You know what that's saying? It's saying that friends can actually be better than siblings. You got to realize that this was said in a culture that prized family relationships. So how is a friend better than a sibling? Because Proverbs says a friend loves at all times, but a sibling is for adversity. Now, what it's trying to say is this. Your family and your f- siblings, they're going to be there for you during adversity. If you're going through hell, your family's going to be there for you. Uh, there's a loyalty there. There's a memory. They're going to be there for you. But they may not like you. <laughs> now, let's face it. That's true. Well, maybe not for everybody, but it's true. Like, you may, they may stick with you, but haven't you ever noticed, like, in the Bible it says God just gives you your personality. God knits you together in your mother's womb and gives you your personality. So, have you ever noticed how siblings can be so different? Like, my mother jokes, I don't understand how all three of you came from the same womb. So, but... So they may not like you, but they'll be there if things get bad. But day in and day out, they're not really there so that slowly you become a better person. A friend is somebody who chooses you. And in the Hebrew word, it says sticks, but it actually means cleaves. That word should strike you because the first time the word cleaves together is used is in Genesis with Adam and Eve. So... It's supposed to return you to this idea of the Garden of Eden where humanity really was united. So a friend, in some ways, is better than a sibling because friendship can bring something into your life that family can't bring, that romance can't bring, that even your neighbors can't bring. And so think about this. Our culture puts friendship usually in the back seat. You know, it's nice, but, you know, it's not that important. Actually, friendship is incredibly important. 
Sadly, what our culture really prizes is erotic love. You know, romance, sexual love. That's the first thing. That's what sells the TV programs. You know, The Bachelor is really, really popular. You're probably not going to have a show just about friends. And I think it's because our society is too individualistic. And so it prizes this idea, all you need to be happy is just find that one romantic partner and then forever you can just stare into each other's eyes. Or look... <laughs> no, but you know that's what The Bachelor really does promote, right? You have to be a little naive. It's only those who are married who realize... No, you little need a little bit more than just one person. But take what our culture prizes. What's on the cover of every glossy magazine? You know what's plastered across that in these magazines is not who's best friends with who, right? That That's not it. It's who's sleeping with who and who's having romantic love. So in one sense, really, friendship just doesn't sell. There's only been one trilogy, one mega blockbuster movie that really prized friendship that made it as a success, and that was Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings is about the beauty of friendship. That's the theme, that the beauty of friendship, this community, it conquers evil. So if you've read the books, you know that the romance stuff is not in it that's in the movies. If you watch the movies about Lord of the Rings... You know, it has these love affairs, but that's actually not in the books. That's in the appendices. But of course, Hollywood, when they make movies, they have to make it front and center because what people want most is the romance. The love affair is center in the movie, but in the books, the books celebrate actually the power of friendship. Well, why? You see in our culture that friendship just doesn't sell. So romance is the most important relationship, is what our culture says. In traditional conservative cultures, it's always the family. In socialistic communism, in that culture, what's most important is your neighbors, that we're all comrades. But I'd like to say, really, the thing that uh, is also very important is friendship. And C.S. Lewis, in his famous essay on friendship, says... Friendship has the least commerce in our cultural system. Do you know what that you get what that means? Friendship has the least commerce. Nobody wants to read about friends. You buy the magazines to find out who's sleeping with who. You watch the movies because you find the romance. You know, friendship, there's nothing throaty about it. There's nothing that quickens your pulse or makes you turn blush and red. So friendship, in one sense, is very ordinary. And, you know, in one sense, you wouldn't exist without your family, right? But if it wasn't for neighborly love, a, a community, we wouldn't even be able to survive. Humans survive so well in the world because we're a communal species. But the Bible says that without a good friendship, it'll be hard to become wise. That friendship love is something that's unique. Friendship, in many ways, serves a function that is better than a sibling. So Proverbs continues by saying, I love this quote, A fool perishes for either lack of friends or poorly chosen friends. You know, that's very true. I hate to say this, but 
once a kid turns 13, the opinion of his peers matter a lot more than his parents. And so what's really important is what kind of friends your 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 child chooses. And just no offense, my sister, she's actually part pit bull. No, it's I'm not kidding. We did the DNA test and it came back. And she's also a teacher. And one kid was getting into trouble in her class and so she kind of inappropriately left down her guard because his mother was complaining. And my sister says, you know, your son hangs around with poor friends. You know, they're potheads and etc. You gotta, if you want to help your kid, you get him away from those. And the mother said, well, you know, I, I can't pick his friends for him. And my sister said, oh yeah, you can. <laughs> I do with my boys. I tell my boys, no, you can't hang around that person. I know they're a pothead. No, you do it. Or did you read, and it's such a great book, The uh, Hillbilly Elegy? I love it. He was raised by his grandmother. Like he had everything in life was against him. He was poor. He was a hillbilly. Didn't have any money. But the one thing he had was a grandmother that loved him. His own mother was a druggie. And anyhow, he had a grandmother who was really loved him, but also really harsh. And his grandfather came home drunk. And the grandmother next says the next morning, I am not going to be married to a drunk. You're not going to ruin this family. Never come home drunk again. So he did. And she poured lighter fluid on him and set him on fire. Now, it was just his coat. <laughs> but he got the hint. <laughs> Anyhow, so at one point, he's in junior high, and he starts to take up smoking pot with some friends. And his grandmother finds out about it and warns him, says, no, you can't be friends with them. And he says, yeah, I, I can be friends with whoever I want. And she sits him down and she says, no, I love you. I love you so much that I'll do anything. And if you keep hanging around those druggies, I, one night I'm going to get in my Cadillac and I'm going to hit those kids and run them down. I won't hurt you, but I will hurt them. And he said... It kind of scared him because he didn't know, is she telling the truth or not? And she does do crazy things. So he said, in one sense, yeah, my grandmother saved me because she didn't allow me to have certain friends. So I do love the Proverbs line that fools perish because either because of lack of friends or poorly chosen friends. And, you know, we walk around our culture and we say things like, you know, I can choose who I want to be. You really can't choose completely who you want to be. You know, the Bible says God knitted you together in your mother's womb, gave you your gifts. You didn't choose those gifts. Those were given by God. And then the early stages of your life, you are what your family makes you. You didn't choose that either. But for the rest of your life, you partly become who you are because of the friends you choose. The community that forms around you dictates really your future. Proverbs is right. For lack of friends or poorly chosen friends, people perish. So Proverbs is making this point that friendship does something that other things can't do. And friendship requires a foundation, an affinity, this common love. And that vision that's created, that can only be discovered. So Ralph Waldo Emerson also wrote this whole treatise on friendship. And he says, friendship doesn't ask, 
do you love me? As much as, do we see the same truth? Are you passionate about the same things that I'm passionate about? Or C.S. Lewis puts it this way, the typical expression of friendship is something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That's the beginning of friendship. That you too. That, wow, we have something in common. Although, you know, erotic love and friendship can be in the same person. It, it, it can. Like, I really love the Tierneys. They died. Love the Tierneys. And Dolores, I, she doesn't like being called Dolores. What was her nickname? Dee. Dee always said things that were kind of shocking in some ways. And once we're out to breakfast, and she, this was mildly shocking, where she said, you know, she's talking about her husband, and she says, you know, we're best friends. You know, when you're young, it's just this romantic love and it's passionate, but she says the best thing of all in life is when you become best friends with your spouse. And that kind of threw me because that's, at first I was like, isn't that a step down? And, you know, it was really beautiful because when she died, they're at St. Luke's, and the doctor comes in and says, there's nothing more medically we can do. Now, we can try a couple things, and it might keep you alive for a couple hours, but we'd have to put you into a coma and intubate you. And, you know, he's saying this to the tyrannies, and no offense, at that point, they can't hear. You know, you're overwhelmed. And so the doctor says, well, what do you want to do? And they said, well, I, I guess we'll choose do anything to keep me alive. So I said, now, wait a minute. Cause I really don't like to interfere with people's decisions, but I don't think they heard. So I said, well, did you hear what he said? Your last hours on this planet will be comatose and intubated, your husband won't be able to be with you. Your grandchildren, who they loved a lot, wouldn't be able to be with you. Or you can simply lie here and pass away in the next couple hours without much pain. And after I said that, they like, oh, you're going to do that. So then Mr. Tierney just crawled into bed with her and just held her for the next couple hours. And then their kids and grandparents all came and prayed. It's a beautiful way to die. But they did die as best friends. And then a year later on her anniversary, he died. And so I know it's kind of beautiful, but in some ways, erotic love and friendship love sometimes does come together. That's all my point. But in some ways, there's nothing less like a friendship than erotic love. Because lovers are always talking to each other about their love. Friendship, friends, rarely talk about their love for each other. That's not the basis of their friendship. Lovers are always face-to-face, -face, absorbed in each other. Friends are absorbed in what they share. So friends are side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder, and they share some common interest. Um, it is like, that's important to you? Well, we share that common love. It's not about the other person. It's about something they share. So Lewis goes on and makes this really, this reality, very plain, where he says, this is why those pathetic people who simply want friends never make any friends. The very condition for having friends is that you want something other than friends.
Does that make sense? You share something in common. If someone asks, do you see the same truth? And your honest answer is, I really don't care about that. I just want to be friends. Then no friendship can arise. There, there's nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing to share have no friends. Those who are going nowhere have no fellow travelers. And the reason why is first with friendship. It's got to be discovered in the sense that we share something deeply in common. Now, maybe at first, like Audrey and I, we both love football. So that's our friendship. But that one's really light. But maybe it's something more important. Maybe Audrey, I don't know, maybe she loves Christ. And I love Christ, so we have something to share. That's even deeper. So friendship first is something that we discover something together. If it's about football, you know, that's good. But it's not very lasting. So the more superficial a friendship, the less it lasts. Because like Audrey, she loves the Dallas Cowboys. I don't. So that ends our friendship. But if, if the friendship is that well, I care for Christ or I care for justice or I care for love, those last deeper things makes it last longer and allows you to have more diverse friends. We could have less in common because deep down we have something very much in common. And like one example is this crazy priest, William McNamara, who's this mystic. He was this Canadian Cistercian. He became best friends with this other Vietnamese Buddhist monk. Somebody says, well, look at you two, you're best friends. Why can't religion just get rid of all differences so we can all get along? And William McNamara is the one who said, no, no, just washing away superficial differences will not make us united. He said, we're united as best friends because we've gone to the mystical core of our religion and there's Christ and we can look at each other as brothers. So the deeper the connection, the more lasting. The deeper the connection, you could be best friends with somebody who's completely different than you because you share something in common. The point is, they've discovered something very deep. So when Emerson or C.S. Lewis says, no, nah, friendship starts when you discover something deep, that oh, we have something deep down that we share. Well, it doesn't have to be deep. It could be as superficial as, you know, the Dallas Cowboys. But church is that we're all friends because we care about the same thing deep down. So friendship is discovered. But here's the odd part. Friendship also has to be forged. And so there's this Irish monk who's a patron saint of friendship. He's this 12th century monk, wrote a whole book on friendship. And he says, after friendship is discovered, it has to be forged. So first there has to be a foundation. Then after you discover you have the same foundation, it has to be forged. So he would say, you actually have to pray for your friends. And this sounds strange. I, a monk told me and mentioned this Irish monk. And he said, wherever you go, always pray that you'll discover true friends. And I have to say, once he said that, I, I remember that bit of advice. And every time I move or go someplace, I really do pray to God that, yeah, I discover people who are my true friends. And God has never let me down. 
So the Irish monk says, yeah, you should pray to discover friends. And once you discover friends, you pray that your friendship keeps getting forged better and better and better. So if you're wondering where I'm going, it's that Christ is our ultimate and lasting source of our friendship. It's the true foundation. Um, that's the love that we share, that we care about Christ. We care about other peoples. We care about life. We par- care about goodness and justice. But that love of Christ, it not just makes us friends, but you realize it has to be forged. That's why I think one of the reasons why God in the Old Testament demands you gather together as a Sabbath, the weekly Eucharist, is because a big part is keeping the friendship forged and alive and growing. That's why God demands we have the Eucharist every week, that we not only discover the foundation, that but we grow with it. So a big part of parish ministry is really kind of community building, but it's community building around the Eucharist. And the odd part is that Christ forms odd friendships. And I really do believe that. With Christ, you can have odd friendships. That if the common denominator is not whether you're a Democrat or Republican or an engineer or an artist, all those things are very superficial. Or whether you're like, you have to be Irish like me. For That's all very superficial things. Our common denominator is Christ. Therefore, uh, all those friendships of people who are completely different than my personality and preferences, it allows it. Because you don't even have to be of my background. We have the same common love, and that's Christ. And like, that's why like, I'm a big promoter of... Uh, small faith communities and I was at a dinner with a small faith community last week and it really touched me how they said that in this small faith community that they love each other now what is kind of funny is that well at least with the guys they are kind of harassing the men were harassing other men and one of them they're making jokes about one guy because with him everything is scheduled like there's the jokes but then they called themselves and I like this they said and they're just being honest where they said you know we're more than friends we're family and they said that because the word friend is too weak of a word well I don't really think it's too weak but I love the fact they're all connected by this life of Christ and it allowed differences in a small faith community so it reminds me of when Christ says who is my mother, who is my brother, who is my sister, but the one who does the will of God. Christ is talking about a unity that's deeper than genetics or culture. That deeper thing, it unites people in a real family love without being born in Meridian or wherever you're born because it's born in our hearts. And there's a great line in one of the Psalms where, actually, somebody last week just asked me this, where I'm going to paraphrase the Psalm because it says, like they couldn't figure out what it meant. It says, this person was born in uh, Palestine. This person was born here, but Jerusalem was born in them. And what the Psalm means, paraphrasing, I'd say, this person was born in Montana and that person born in Denver and that person born in Virginia but the eternal Jerusalem was born in them. Isn't that a great line? 
They were born there, but Jerusalem was born in them. And then in the psalm, once they realize Jerusalem is born in you, uh, it's this prophecy about the Messiah, then we'll look at each other as brothers and sisters. Isn't that beautiful? That's friendship born from above. That's true friendship that allows this odd, crazy diversity. And I get just I want to use the word diversity because do you believe in diversity? And I mention that because just I just find out that's a political term now. Do you believe in diversity? And if you say yes, diverse from what? Because some people say, well, I believe in diversity, and when they say I believe in diversity, they mean from white men. Yeah, I do believe in diversity, but not as a political concept. I believe in diversity because I believe in loving friendship. I believe that deep down, if Christ is in me and Jan, Christ is in Jan, then all those differences don't matter and we can be diverse. Think about it. There's been no institution more diverse than the Catholic Church in all history. We cover every culture, race, time period. But the thing that unites us together is not that we want to be diverse from something else. We want to be divert, or we allow diversity because we have one common denominator, and that is Christ. So friendship, true friendship, it allows diversity and therefore becomes a school of sympathy. That's a famous quote, that real friendship becomes a school of sympathy, that you can see the world through somebody else's eyes. Like, you know, I, I love Basque people, but I'm not Basque. But I remember in college, there's one of my roommates was Basque, and like his parents spoke the broken English with a heavy Basque accent. I love looking through the world from his eyes of this rancher family, very tough, like, ah, that's a school of sympathy. Another one of my friends was Asian, and his grandparents knew the concentration camps during World War II, well, not, you know, the relocation camps. Like, I saw the world differently through his eyes. Or there's this one guy who just amazes me. He's in our parish, Murray Laud. So Murray Lodge is, in one sense, a, a country boy. Uh, he's not a boy, but you know what I mean? He's true Idaho. He, his dad was a rancher. And he tells a story where, in college, he went to college for one year in Alabama. I know, and it's the... Why did you go to... Why would a guy from Idaho go to Alabama? And he... Yeah, but he said... I. I just wanted to know what it's like to live in a different culture. And, like, Murray's just a Labrador. He just loves everybody. And the whole racial tension, it was completely, you know, for somebody from Idaho, we're not used to that. And he says he goes there, and there's actual the, this division between blacks and whites. And he was never raised to be prejudiced. He's just a, you know, farm boy kind type of guy. And... He tells this really interesting story about how he was friendly to the blacks, and they were like, what do you want out of us? Well, I just want to be your friends. You know, that's all I want. But, And he did become friends with them. He's this one white guy among all these blacks. And it allowed him to see the world completely different. Like, he is who he is. You know, like, he's has a certain... But 
allowed him to see something completely different because of that friendship. Friendship is a school of sympathy. But I think God allows things like that to broaden our perspective. And it's really God who allows us to fall in love with people that are completely different. So C.S. Lewis puts it like this. We think we've chosen our own friends. But for a Christian, there is, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of the ceremonies is always at work, Christ, who said to his disciples, You have not chosen me, I have chosen you. You can also say that to every group of Christian friends. You have not chosen one another's, but Christ has chosen you for one another. At the Feast of Friendship, it is God who spreads the table. It is God who has chosen the guests. Isn't that kind of a, like a beautiful, like, that's what the Eucharist should do for us. But Proverbs says friendship should make us better people. So I just want to read what Proverbs says about how friends should make you a better person. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Better an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and pleasantness of one's friendship springs from his earnest counsel. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. Isn't that a beautiful looking at that way? You know, that we're supposed to, in one sense, rebuke each other in order to gain favor. If you're a friend, you always should not be speaking with a flattering tongue. So it says, and I like this line, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a trap for his feet. So what Proverbs is saying is this, uh, when it says, a friend loves at all times, what it means is all types of times. Like good times, bad times, ordinary time. Family relations are often strained, but your family will be there when chips are down. So friends are the ones who take up more of your ordinary time, your daily routine. That's what it means when it friend says friends love at all times. Now, like this sounds kind of strange, but like I talk to my friends a lot. Every week I try and call my close friends. But if you said, well, what are you talking about? Really nothing. <laughs> we have nothing. You know, we just talk about, I don't know, just stuff that happens every week. So it takes up a lot of ordinary time. And Proverbs says, a man of many companions comes to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So what it means is that you don't want to be friends with the entire world because then that just means you're, you're basing your friendship on a lot of superficiality. You want a friend that connects deep down? And I really love it where it says, as iron sharpens iron, so do friends. Now, what does that mean? So I'll give you an example. So there's this prayer group of women. It's a rosary group where this one woman tells a story that, and she's a really good person, but this is not going to make her sound good. She's a really good person, but she's having trouble in her marriage. And she announces to her rosary group that she can't live with her husband anymore because she's, he's so demanding. 
And one, one of her close friends in the rosary group simply says, that's not true. That is not true. You're the cause. If your marriage breaks up, you're the cause. You're the one that's demanding. Like, well, that's a little harsh, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you, and anyhow, the woman she said that to, she had to think about it and she realized, oh yeah, you know, it hurt her feelings. But then she realized, you know, I am the cause. Of, he's not the problem. I'm the problem. The marriage was saved. And it was saved because she, her, the woman in the Rosa group, yeah, she was honest. As iron sharpens iron, we become better. And why does it say a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Why does a man who blesses his neighbor early, loud early in the morning is taken as a curse. It just means that somebody who's emotionally disconnected from you, they should know what hurts you and what doesn't hurt you. But also, so a friend refrains from saying certain things that you know will hurt you, but also a friend sometimes says exactly what you need to hear. And it was amazing that the woman from the rosary group, she actually ends up thanking Thank God that other friend was there. It saved her marriage. So sometimes a real friend not only just refrains from saying things, but says the things that will hurt you because it's what you need to hear. So a true friendship has this candor and truth-telling as well. So I love the line where it says, Better open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. An enemy multiplies kisses. Isn't that a great line? Do you see what the metaphors are? That it's this deliberate paradox. That you have friendly wounds versus fake kisses. So anybody who says, I love that person so much that I won't confront them. Well, no, really what you love is your own self more. If you won't tell a friend who's going to make a horrible decision what they need to hear because you don't want to upset them, then what you really love is not the friendship. You love yourself. And so I also like the line about the hidden dangers of love. The hidden dangers of love is this. You know, hidden love is that, well, when somebody says something, you just smile and nod your head because you know the person is going to make their own mistakes, and so I'm just going to smile. That's a great line, too. So there's this paradox. Sometimes a friend refrains from saying anything, and other times, a friend has to say something because you're going to make a big mistake. And a true friend will upset you. So, yeah, blessed are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes they say things that hurt you not because they hate you, but because they love you. Refusing to speak the truth is not just cowardice. It's that you're putting love over yourself, comfort over yourself, over the friendship. So it's kind of like the Judas kiss. Isn't it just amazing that Judas betrays Christ with this false act of a kiss? And in some sense, if you're refusing to tell your friend what they really need to hear, you are being like Judas. So I love the line, whoever flatters his friend is spreading a trap for his feet. Now, what, you know, that's pretty obvious what it means, right? That you know, instead of telling your friend what, what's wrong, that friend is going to get an inaccurate view of their strengths and weaknesses unless you really say it. You're setting them up 
for a disaster as much as putting their foot into a bear trap. Because they're going to make their decisions based on your approval. So, yeah, true friendship, they can speak in a way that's prudent so the person can hear. So they know what not to say. They know uh, when I do have to say something. And by the way, I think the more rich and powerful you are, the more you need friends who will tell you exactly what you need to hear. A true friend cares what your heart needs the most. A friend gives the small, awkward, no, don't do that. Allies, they smile, and then they talk behind your back that you did something. So as iron sharpens iron, so does a friend sharpen you. If you're going to have friendship and grow together, yeah, you're going to have these important clashes as iron clashes against iron. Or that's why... uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said that there's this great paradox among the best of friendship. He says, friendship requires that rare mean between likeness and unlikeness. And this is a great quote. It is better to be a nettle in the side of your friend than his echo. Isn't that a great line? Oh, he says this, and I like this line too. There must, there must be two before there can be one. Well, what does he mean by that? You need friends who are deeply like you in the sense that you share something common deep down. But you also need friends who are really unlike you. You need to be two before you can be one. If you have friendship, which, if you have friendships that are really going to make you into something great, then you have to have friends who are different than you in order for you to see what's important. So friendship, yeah, it has an obligation to speak truth but also to challenge, and you need friends different from yourself so that you can learn. Now, where I'm going with this essentially is the ultimate friendship is actually Christ as our model. So remember, the night before Christ died at the Last Supper when he hands over the Eucharist, he's desperate to get across to the disciples the meaning of what he is about to die for. And one of the things that he tries to explain is and this I love this, is the concept of friends. So he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. But tonight, I call you friends. And then he goes on to say, love one another as I have loved you. And I'm about to lay down my life. No greater love than to lie down. But I love that line where he says, no, you're, not, you're no longer servants. You're friends. So the whole history of the church can be understood in terms of friendship. And in one sense, God is a friendship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is knowing and loving one another. And God made us in his image where we understand Christ causing us to be the source of our friendship. So in Genesis, when it talks about God walking in the cool of the garden to talk to Adam and Eve, Walking with somebody is a Hebrew term for friendship. It's somebody you walk with. So this really captured the early church where Origen, he's this really early, early theologian, said this, what is the first name of God? Friend. Because they walk together. Now actually the first description of God in the Bible is the Holy Spirit hovering. But when you use the word hover, it's like how a mother cradles its young. So the first description 
of God is that of a mother who loves. The first name of God is friend. Isn't that beautiful? And what it means is that God made us for friendship, for one another in the Trinity. Christ is restoring the original friendship that was meant to be in the garden. That through God we are friends with and for each other. So, friends are a really big deal in our lives. Now, I think we all knew that. But Father Len and the Bible have given us so much to think about when choosing friends and what it means to be a true friend. And the description he gave us of what it means to be a true friend, I think that's really going to stick with me. He told us, a true friend understands and cares what your heart needs most. I don't think I'm going to forget that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life Lessons from Jesus and the Church He Founded. We welcome your comments and questions. It's easy to get those to us. You can just shoot me an email. My address is irish at www.gproductions.org. That's irish at www.gproductions.org. Or you can text or leave me a voicemail at 208-391-3738. That's 208-391-3738. This podcast is created and distributed by Wrestling With God Productions. Our theme music is composed and performed by Jake Einick and Kevin Barnett. Now, the lifeblood of Wrestling With God Productions comes from generous donors who support our mission. It takes a lot of time and money to design, record, edit, distribute, and promote the podcasts we create. So if you've benefited from one of our podcasts, please consider making a donation at givesendgo.com slash wwgproductions. That's givesendgo.com slash WWG Productions. Thanks for your support, and thanks again for listening. See you next time.